Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And today's podcast is near and dear to my heart. I'm sure everyone has heard or used WD-40. And I am blessed this morning to have the CEO, Gary Ridge, joining me. Let me tell you a little bit about Gary and why I wanted him on the show. He is so passionate about learning and empowering the organizational culture. And he has actually established what he stands for and believes in with his vision and leadership at WD-40. He has been there since 1987, and he has had various management positions. And I could go on and on about how fabulous he is, but I want to get into a great conversation with him. So, Gary, welcome to the show. Uh, good day, Dev. It's lovely to be with you, and thank you for inviting me. And I have to give you my official uh, introduction. Do you mind? Absolutely. Go ahead, please. Good morning. I'm Gary. I'm the consciously incompetent, probably wrong and roughly right chairman and CEO of WD-40 Company. Well, you're on the right show because this is Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And again, so grateful that you carved out the time. Before we get started, I have to tell you, I have a, a big love for Australia. When I launched my company in 1990 at a young 24, my first customer was the Australian Department of Defense. Oh, wow. And I worked with some amazing civilians and some amazing professionals within the Australian Army as the Australian Army built their light armored vehicles in London, Ontario, Canada at General Dynamics. So it's always that seven degrees of separation where we really are a borderless society, aren't we? Oh, yeah. And us, us Aussies and us Canadians, you know, we, we share the same queen as well. So uh, that's absolutely. Great. They say we're the friendliest people in the world, Gary. So let's show them how friendly we are. And, and I'm ready to ask you some great questions if you're all set. Yeah, hit me. All right. You have been at WD-40 since 1987. And I didn't even have to think about how many years that was because that was such a pivotal year for me as well. You have always had, I'm going to call a seating or a foundation in servant leadership. And I'd love for you to unpack and share with us where that derived from. Was it your upbringing, a little bit of life experience, school experience? How did that become the forefront of your leadership? I think it became really clear to me, in fact, in 1997, when I was given the, the honor to lead the company as CEO. And I looked around, and in fact, I was reading some of the work of the Dalai Lama. And one of his sayings or one of his quotes is, our purpose in life is to make people happy. If we can't make them happy, at least don't hurt them. And I really, from that day onwards, said, I want to try and create a culture where people go home happy. But I had no clue how to do it. 
certainly I had competence in sales and marketing and you know business side. And yes, I did have a real desire to be a servant leader. Uh, I think a lot of that came from you know my mum who lived till she was 99 years and nine months old. She was born in 1914. My dad was born in 1907. They'd been through the Great Depression and some couple of world wars. And, you know, being the youngest of a family of four with a big gap between me and my next brother, you know, I, I think I learned a lot about the parameters of servant leadership. But back in 1997, I looked around and I found a, a program back actually in 1999 that I went to and it's at the University of San Diego. It's the master's degree in executive leadership. And luckily for me, one of my professors was Ken Blanchard. And Ken is the, you know, probably global authority on servant leadership. And I, in this program, I really became dedicated to taking the aspects of servant leadership and putting them into action because I was given the privilege of being able to do that. Subsequent to that, Ken and I wrote a book together. We were on our, I was on his board for 10 years. He's 82 years old now. Interestingly, I play golf with him most Wednesday afternoons, nine holes of golf. He is truly uh, my, my most favoured mentor. So it was that change in life where I got the opportunity to serve people that I thought if I'm going to serve people, I want to do it the best way I could. Well, and that's such a beautiful story and, and what an incredible mentor you've had. And I think we all have a similar mentor, if we're open to find that person and receive that person. And it's one of the big shifts that I am trying to accomplish through these beautiful conversations with leaders like yourself all over the globe. There is a place for servant leadership and business acumen. Now, my second question has permanent residency on the show. Share with us what imperfections that you bring to your heart-centered leadership. Well, how long have you got? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. I love a book that Marshall Goldsmith wrote. Um, it's called What Got You Here Won't Get You There, 20 Bad Habits of Great Leaders. I have all 20 in some form of abundance. But the fortunate thing about me is I'm aware of them. You know, Marshall, who is also one of my mentors, he gave me a gift. He said, here's a question you need to ask yourself all the time. And here it is. It's, am I being the person I want to be right now? And in fact, I have a little post-it note on the screen in front of my computer right now that has that question on there. And then it says, what, what is that person? And the person I want to be is the person that is working against these imperfections. I want to be caring. I want to be empathetic. I want to be reasonable. I want to be a listener. I want to be fact-based. I want to be balanced. I want to be a curious leader and a curious learner. And I want to throw sunshine, not a shadow. So if you take the opposite to all those, they would be my imperfections, but I'm aware of them and I don't want to be that other person. And unfortunately, what happens in life today, you get dragged off where you want to be so easily. So it's about awareness of who you want to be. And I am so much happier when I'm the person I want to be instead of the person that I'm dragged into being because of the influences and impacts of, of what's going on around us every day. You are the first leader to answer the question in that context, and I love it. When we are aware, does it not just sit as the foundation to let everything else be modeled so greatly as a leader? It's such an important answer. And we're able to laugh when you said, how much time do we have? I love that you know what all your imperfections are, 
but it's that awareness to evolve and be. I'm a yoga teacher, so I often talk about that. So that post-it note is your visual cue that you have on your monitor, your laptop to look at every day. It's almost like that renewal of what I like to call cognitive emotion to be in the moment with whatever person and whatever conversation. That's so beautiful, Gary. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, I think what's really important is, you know, the person that you're speaking to now is the most, not me, but if I'm in a conversation, they are the most important person. They don't care what happened to you two minutes ago, and you have no right to bring what happened to you two minutes ago into their life and bring sort of toxic emotion into it. You need to be in the now, which is really important if you're going to be an empathetic servant leader. I always ask people what their cognitive address is, and it should be living in the now. So I can see why we were introduced. I'm seeing the (laughs) synergy here. Now, I love that you refer yourself. Another title, if you will, is the culture coach. And I'd love for you to share the trajectory and maybe some high points, some low points, whatever you feel is sitting on your heart today. How did the culture coach create this beautiful tribe that you like to call at WD40 on a global level? So many, many years ago, in fact, probably 50 years ago, when I was in high school, Dremoyne Boys High School, my science teacher gave me a Petri dish. And the science teacher said, we're going to actually grow culture in this Petri dish. And we put stuff in the dish. The teacher said, now, there's a very important thing about this dish. Not only is what you put in it, but how caring you are about it. You need to look at this dish every day and you need to be brave enough to treat any toxins that go into it or to extract them. So I have an algorithm, culture equals parentheses, values plus behavior times consistency. So how the culture at WD-40 developed over time was do we have a compelling set of values? in the organization that not only protect people, but set them free? And can we be servant leaders who are, who are both loving enough and brave enough, not only to applaud and reward people for doing great work, but care enough about them to redirect them when their toxins come out of them that they don't really know are coming out of them. So building a culture in an organization is simple. It's not easy. And time is not your friend. It means you've got to be consistent around a clear set of values and an acceptable set of behaviors. Such a powerful answer. I got to throw in another question because I know from our listeners, we've had a similar conversation before on the show. How did you get or rise above with the equation that you just so beautifully shared with us? How does a leader at your level, at the C-suite level, rise above micromanaging. How do you adhere to that equation and not let that creep in? Well, if you think about a coach, a coach doesn't run onto the field. A coach spends their time on the sideline, observing the play and in the locker room, enthusing and developing the players. A manager, micromanager, wants to run on the field all the time. There is nothing that the players learn when the micromanager runs on the field. And I learned a long time ago that micromanagement was not scalable. So if you were to build an organization 
on a global presence, you couldn't scale micromanagement. You had to have a compelling set of values that set people free. So I often say, Deb, imagine a place where you go to work every day. You make a contribution to something bigger than yourself. You learn something new. You are protected and set free by a compelling set of values, and you go home happy. Happy people create happy families. Happy families create happy communities. Happy communities create a happy world. Don't we have a job to do as leaders then? Because we can help create a happy world. And it's never been more obvious to me and us Mm -hmm. as we've gone through COVID. We have this thing going on at the moment called the great resignation. It's not the great resignation. It's the great escape. People are escaping from toxic cultures. You know, I created a a person called Al, the soul-sucking CEO. And Al has some really horrible behaviours. He's a micromanager. He must always be right. He's corporate royalty. He doesn't accept feedback. Learning is for losers. The list that goes on. And it's that sort of leadership that doesn't create a happiness in an organisation. There's so many powerful things to unpack in there. I, I love that you've created Al as a role model of what not to be. But what you just described there it's really a domino effect and it has to be positive, sustained, cognitive, emotion, living in the moment. And it goes back to the question before. It doesn't matter what happened 30 seconds ago, two minutes ago. I need you to be right here with me right now, fully present, fully engaged. That's how we move forward. So powerful. And congratulations on a global level for what you've created. I do think you have deserved and and well-earned the title of Culture Coach. And just to look at the success as a company at WD40, what you've done, I certainly hope that you feel proud and honored. And I know that's not part of your personality, if you will. And I love just the down-to-earth approach that you have as being approachable. A lot of C-suites, and I'll share one with you, I I was asked on the show one time, someone had sent an email in uh, for an interview that we did. And a CEO of a company said, there's no place for heart-centered leadership. If everyone likes me and we're doing all the soft foo-foo stuff, I'm not going to gain respect. How would you feel if you heard that from a fellow CEO? How would you answer him using that beautiful metrics or equation that you've integrated at WD-40? A lot of people think that servant leadership is about the prisoners running the prison, but it's not. You know, servant leadership is about is a balance between being tough-minded and tender-hearted, and the genius is in the middle. So leaders who are great servant leaders have to care about their people, have to be candid with their people, have to hold them accountable and expect them to be responsible. So it's not just if people like me. Um, I'm sure... I've made decisions or been part of decisions in the past that people haven't liked. However, I hope that they've seen that the decision we've made is in the best interest of the whole. So, you know, you can't please all the people all the time and no good deed will ever go unpunished. But again, you have to have a harder goal than a backbone of steel because as leaders, there are tough times. I also believe, you know, even in tough times, it's better than that a lot of us suffer a little, then a few of us suffer a lot. So again, it gets back to, are we treating people fairly across the organization? Absolutely. I I love that. 
Now, my last question, I knew I threw in a couple extra there, but, but you know, when you get into a meaningful conversation, the questions just flow, right? Okay, my last leadership question, share with us learning moments and how they're not mistakes and, and how this kind of came to fruition and was integrated into your leadership and as part of the WD-40 culture. So psychological safety is a you know, buzzword that's been bounced around, but what is psychological safety? Psychological safety is removing fear and building trust. And if we think about you know, the word mistake or failure, they're probably two of the most disabling words and they don't do anything for us. In fact, when I was in school at the University of San Diego doing my master's degree, I was in a class where we were talking about the difference between learning and failure. And I said, wait a minute, why don't we just admit that learning is the power, failure is the opportunity? So we said, we're going to take the word failure out of our vocabulary and we're going to replace it with a learning moment. And now it's very important to define what that means. Here's the definition. A learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to benefit all people. So what we've done at the company over these many years is says we don't make mistakes. We have learning moments and we have lots of them. So people are free to say, you know, here's the learning moment I had. Here's how I think I can share it. This is the positive outcome or this was the negative outcome and I need to share it to protect my tribe because the tribal promise we have is a group of people that come together to protect and feed each other. And if we can protect people from future failure by sharing learning moments that we've had, we've lived our tribal promise. I love that. And there's no room for micromanagement when you've got such a beautiful defined culture. And I love what you said that mistake versus failure. And sometimes mistakes are really such an on-ramp, or I like to say rolling out the red carpet to opportunity. My Irish Nana used to say, find the opportunities tucked in the corner of each day. And it's not necessarily going to be wrapped in a gold box with a red bow, is it? I love that. That's beautiful. I love that. She had she had some great sayings, Gary. Let me tell you, that Irish <laughs> man of mine. Are you still playing golf with Ken every week? I do on a Wednesday afternoon. Oh, uh, when that's we're both lovely. in town, we play nine holes of golf together. We played last Wednesday and we'll be playing this Wednesday. And as I said, he's 82 years old and and we just have fun together. You know, it's it's just wonderful to be out there and enjoying each other. So He's just one of the, the most precious people in my life. That's beautiful. Okay, I'm going to switch gears now, and I'm going to ask you my fab four. These are just four fun questions. We want to know what's sitting on the top of that servant, beautiful, heart-centered mind of yours. First question, tell us something that we don't know about Gary. Oh, well, is this podcast visual? No. Okay, because I was going to say you don't know that once – I had an Afro hairdo because I'm, as bald, <laughs> I'm, I'm as bald as a badger right now. So once upon a time, I did have an Afro hairdo. And I was a disc jockey in Australia. I used to do morning radio in Australia. Isn't that neat? So you, you've, got, you've definitely got the voice. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, second question. What book have you read over your lifetime that really, truly impacted you? Would you share with us the title and the author? 
Robert Fulgram, everything you need to know you learned in kindergarten. What's a fond memory that you do have from kindergarten? Say please and thank you. I still remember my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Bennett, at Five Dock Public School in Sydney. And she was just a caring, loving person. And I still, I can still remember her. And you know what I find fascinating about that age, even that kindergarten grade one is social development is locked in and developed at the end of age six. And it's so pivotal at that beginning entry level of school that the most simplistic things that we learn really translate into the longevity of our behavior and who we become as adults. You know, and if you think about the book I mentioned, you know, and he talks about say please and thank you, pick up after yourself. And one thing that he says that's really interesting is, you know, have milk and cookies in an, uh, uh, on an afternoon. And imagine if everybody in the world stopped every afternoon and had hot milk and cookies. What he's really saying is take time to appreciate the simple things uh, and enjoy the people around you. Because, you know, life is a gift, Deb, and we better not send it back unwrapped. Well, you know, I wanted to share with you, I lost my dad in 1987. I was in university and I had to grow up really quick because I was my dad's caregiver and then he was gone. And I went back to school. I had to work for a little bit. I was blessed to have four bosses that didn't exude or demonstrate the leadership you and I are talking about. And I think that's where my heart-centered leadership was secured was in those moments because I was raised and had a very lovely kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Dufton, just like you. And I knew that my bright light wasn't right for everyone, but it didn't mean that I could shine it later on. So I went into the medical world as a case manager, and I lost five executives 12 years ago to stress, and they landed up on short-term disability claims, which converted to a long-term disability claim, and then they all became palliative. And it was a beautiful, full-on integrated heart moment for me over 10 months. I lost all five of them. I sat with them in hospice. I still volunteer at hospice to this day. Every Wednesday, you have your Wednesday with Ken, and I have Wednesday keeping their legacy alive. And they all said the same two things. I tolerated a toxic culture, and I never spoke my truth. And the joke was my name was either a noun or a verb. And they were like, you need to think about this. You need to Deb Crow this. And it was that moment that I realized I was in a generalist space. I was managing the stress, the injury, the trauma for people. And what I really needed to do was listen to my heart and be the preventionist and help executives knock it into that space. So I talk about them every day, Gary. And that's why I moved into coaching. And it's just funny how our businesses and careers, vocations, whatever you want to call it, something that was a hobby became the passion. And like you, now my legacy work for the rest of my life. And I don't think any business, any job, any leadership role should come with that level of stress. And I'm so happy that what you shared today and what you've created globally amongst this company is going to fall on the ears of so many listeners today, because a lot of people don't get to hear and see from leaders at your level that, yes, this is really true. This is who I am as a person, a man, and this is what I've done with the company and three and a half decades it's absolutely beautiful, Gary. And I'm, I'm so happy. We're, we're in 45 countries. I know you have visited over 65. So 
we're going to put a nice slant into the podcast with exposing you to more of our listeners so that they can hear that this really is being done from the top. It's not just a hearsay. There's an actual beautiful servant leader like yourself on the show today. And it is good work. And you keep using the words you and I. This is not me that did this. I planted the seed and the tree grew. And that's what's important. Culture in an organization is truly a competitive advantage. And my hope is through all this pain of COVID that leaders get a slap up the side of the head and realize it's all about the people. And if we can create a culture where people feel like they belong and they're treated with respect and dignity, and they learn something new, and they go home happy, it will be an amazing benefit to the business that you drive. And if your business is successful, you will create an economy that allows you to be more generous with those stakeholders who are part of your business. 100%. And and you look at the businesses who've navigated this unprecedented time and the ones that are holding their own or having exponential growth, I've had clients say to me, how are they doing it? It all comes down to the leadership and everything you've alluded to during this interview. So like you said, it's not rocket science, but it doesn't mean it's easily to practice or implement or sustain. Here's my third question, because I could sit and talk to you all day. Who is a leader they could be living or passed away who has really inspired you and you would just love to sit and have dinner with them? And who would that be? And what would the conversation be? Nelson Mandela. Me too. You're the third person on the show to say that. Tell us why. Well, I love the movie Invictus where Morgan Freeman actually plays Nelson Mandela. And you see how through the power of love and servant leadership, he really did create a tipping point in South Africa. I love it too, because it's about rugby and I do like rugby. But I love a lot of Nelson Mandela's quotes. But my most favorite is, it always seems impossible till it's done. And that has been such a cry of hope for me forever, because as we've been on this journey of building an organization and wanting to have a culture that people love, it's hard. You know, I said, it's simple, not easy. It's hard. And I kept going back to that. It's always impossible until it's done. So, and actually, funnily enough, Ken Blanchard was going to meet Nelson Mandela, but he never got to, but I would love to sit. The other one I'd like to sit, can I have two? You can, absolutely. And here's a complete opposite. The other one is Winston Churchill. I would love to get into his head a little more. And the third one is, you know, I'd love to go back and have another conversation with dad. My dad worked for the same company for 50 years from when he was 15 to 65. He passed away when I was flying back to Australia uh, from the 40th anniversary of WD-40. I was working in Australia then. And when I first got asked to join WD-40, he was alive. And I said, what do you think about that, Dad? And he said, you can't go wrong with that stuff, son. He was an engineer. He knew, right? Oh, that's beautiful. You know, when you lose a parent, we give anything to go back and just have one more conversation, right? I get that. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, who would you call and why are you waiting? It's the post-it note on your laptop. Tell us what it says one more time. It's worth another repeat. Am I being the person I want to be right now? What is that person? Caring, empathetic, reasonable, a listener, fact-based, balanced, a curious leader and learner. And I want to throw sunshine, not a shadow. A word that I've learned that I continue to practice daily is equanimity. Hmm. In all that I am, 
and all that I choose to be. If we can bring, basically, it's the equation you beautifully told us. You bring mental calmness and composure consistently throughout your day, whether you're on the golf course with Ken, being the CEO, whatever you're doing in your personal life. To me, it's you can have an image of what your brand is. For me, it's all about being heart-centered. It doesn't really matter to me that the business side of it that's attached, if I'm not behaving that, I'm not really being true. And to me, that's a beautiful summation of our conversation today. You behave the brand. You are the coach that is maintaining this beautiful culture that you call a tribe. It's, it's visceral for you. Yeah, it's worthy work. Worthy work. There you go. That's a catchy Aussie phrase. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to finish this sentence. But before I do, I want to let our listeners know that we're going to put the links to your books below. I want them to be able to see the framework that you talk about people, purpose, values, execution, and freedom. And it has been such a treat to meet you today and spend time. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your heart on the show today. Oh, thank you. I'm honored to be with you. So my last question is I ask all my guests to finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Not about you. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.